John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Hear the word of the Lord. It was a death match in the boys' bathroom at Boone Station School. The school bully was challenged. He was a brawny, strong, guarded, angry, insecure Appalachian young man. He was challenged by the man who was one year older, the young man, who was a tall, lanky, braggadocious, long-haired, hippie type. At the appointed hour, the rumor was, they were going to meet in the boys' restroom and settle it once and for all. So those of us who picked up on the rumor felt the simultaneous urge to micturate. So we all headed, excused ourselves, and headed, and it became a standing room only crowd in the boys' restroom. Why, it was the most exciting thing at Boone Station School that we'd had in a long time. Right before Mr. Eddy came in and broke up the fracas, they squared off. There were so many boys in the restroom, they hardly had any room at all. And they sniveled at each other and snarled and made some growling sounds. It was more like animals than any human taunt. But then suddenly, the long-haired, tall, lanky man struck first and struck with a blow that took the bully down to the surprise of everybody in the bathroom. He went down and secreted himself soon after in a stall right before Mr. Eddie walked in the bathroom and broke the whole thing up. But that day, that hour changed the calculus of how we all related at school. No longer did we view that bully like we did before that moment. It was as if the plates of the earth had shifted and the fulcrum of authority And the fulcrum of power had changed in that one moment with that one blow. Right there it was. And I was not very many linear feet away from the whole thing. Didn't even have to buy a ticket to get into the death match. It was the reestablishment of the pecking order at Boone Station School. A signaling that the old order had passed. And there, the new order had come. If you can feel the ethos in that boys' room at Boone Station School, you can feel a part of the winds that are blowing in Mark chapter 1. I want you to come there with me. Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Jesus Christ disturbed the status quo when he imposed his authority and threw evil out. This miracle anticipates the kingdom of God's overthrow of evil. 
A new world order is being established, and it's one, astonishingly, without wickedness. Now let me tell you a little bit about the context of Mark chapter 1 before we get here. If you look across the page, Mark 1, 9 through 11, is the baptism of Jesus. John the Baptist introduces him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's baptized. The Father puts that seal of approval on the Son with an audible voice. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Then Jesus is led by the Spirit immediately into the wilderness. And he swashbuckles with the devil in a match in the desert. After 40 days of fasting and prayer, then at what had to be a vulnerable weak moment, he faced the enemy of our soul. Now we know that the first Adam, when he faced Satan in the garden, got outwitted and fell down. But the second Adam, when he faced the enemy of our soul, he defeated him. And he left the wilderness the victor. But nobody knew. But they would start to understand. He gets a few followers. While he's yet in Capernaum, they decide to go to the synagogue. It's there that this incident takes place. Now, the name for Christ is going to be important in Mark chapter 1. The Father had said, you are my beloved Son. Mark 1, 11. Another name is given to Jesus. Listen for it in Mark 1, 24, when the unclean spirit, the demon, says to Jesus, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. There, he may be trying to use that first century ploy for exorcism 101. Step one, figure out who you're facing. Step two, name the evil spirit you are facing. Step three, as soon as you name the evil spirit, you will have power over that spirit and be able to thrust him out. Whoever names first wins. And so the... Uh, Evil, unclean spirit may have been following the local protocol for how to face each other and when, and he rightly identifies Jesus. Now, if you're Jesus in this movement of Christianity, and here we are 2,000 years hence, all the power of the gospel and the person of Christ, here we are 2,000 years hence still going. Jesus had no interest in the movement being supported by the demonic world. Was the unclean spirit right to call him the Holy One of God? Absolutely he was right. Would you want that as your director of marketing for starting this new movement? So he silences the unclean spirit out of a desire for this to emerge in credible forms that he would bless. Certainly didn't want the information disseminated by the dark world. Now that's the background. And here's the passage. Let's study it together this morning. Mark 1, 21 
through 28. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately, remember that's one of Mark's words, he's got a fast-paced, hard-hitting gospel, he repeatedly uses the word immediately. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately, on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, this morning, I want to go two different directions. First, I want to look candidly at Mark chapter 1. Readers of Mark chapter 1 in our age have an obstacle to surmount. We'll look at it together. Secondly, the second direction we'll go is we will observe what happens when the power of the kingdom of God invades this broken, evil world. First, the Bible declares that the kingdom of evil presently exists. 1 John 5, 19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. John 17, 15, when Jesus is praying on the night of his arrest, I do not ask that you take them, that would be his followers, that's we who have owned Christ as our Savior, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Now, there's three considerations in looking at this story. First, the postmodern mind dismisses a passage like Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. What, Mounts? <laughs> snicker, snicker. Demons? Why, that's a part of myth. That's a part of fairies. That's a part of superstition. That is for the unenlightened. We are the educated ones. In science, we've solved all of our problems, or so we are told. And we've dismissed all these pre-modern myths where we tried to imagine things that would help explain what we couldn't understand, like that must be a demon. But wait, I say to the critic, how do you explain evil? What do you mean, Eric? What, what do you mean evil? I mean, let's just take the tragedy, the criminal, felonious, personal tragedy of rape. Sexual affront against a woman. What's your explanation for that and why that happens? 
carnage, disadvantage taken to women all over the world. Where does that come from? Murder. I don't know. I didn't read the news. What happened in Chicago last night? What happened in Cincinnati last night? Why does that happen if there is no evil at work in our world? What about the 30s? Let's think historically. What about Hitler? What about genocide on 6,000 Jewish people? What's your explanation for that? Go to Cambodia in the 1970s and Pol Pot and the killing fields. What about Charles Manson and the twisted, dark activities of the Manson family? What about genocide in Rwanda a few years back? The fights between the warring tribes, the carnage that went on. What about the dispatch call in Kansas City, Missouri, Middle America? This week, the dispatch received a call from a lady alerting the authorities of a need. They went to her house, found the tragic, ghoulish images of a lady who had fur beheaded her dog, beheaded her child, sat in the front room with the carnage of the blood all over her extremities, singing as the authorities enter her house. Where does that come from? What's your explanation for that? Well, I'll tell you what. They must have had a really bad upbringing. Tell you what. It's poverty's fault. Tell you what. Everybody has a good heart. I don't know how we ever got there. You know what? We have sinful hearts and evil is present and at work in our world. But it's easily dismissed in a postmodern world. So a passage like this, we say, come on, what, does that even make any sense? John said the light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. In a scientific world of natural laws, there is no credible room for devils. Now, the second consideration in this story is the spread of confident certainty that demons do not exist has been the demon's greatest triumph. Think of it with me. The dark world's greatest triumph is to is to convince us that the dark world does not exist. John Bunyan, after he wrote Pilgrim's Progress several hundred years ago, wrote a book called Holy War. And it's the story of the dark world's fight with God for the souls of men. The subtitle, The Losing and Taking Again, of man's soul, which is actually, I think, a geographic place in the allegory. I mean, isn't Ephesians 6.12 in your Bible too? We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. We have twisted, perverted, 
dark behaviors and thoughts going on. Have you ever asked why? Isn't it logical and not a stretch to conclude it's there because evil is present in our world? Wouldn't this be the ultimate deceit? Get them to believe that we don't exist. Now, the third consideration before we start into this study is, with evil, we can either make too much of it or too little of it. Now, I get this point from C.S. Lewis's point, of course, when he said, there's two mistakes we can make with the devil. We can either make too much of him or we can make too little of him. And I don't want to make either mistake. I went to seminary with the guy who left and went to this church and took off, and I ran into him on an airplane. I said, hey, Doug, how you doing, man? Whatever happened? Didn't you go to so-and-so church? And, you, know, you still there? Nope, not there anymore. What happened, man? He said, well, they got on a spiritual warfare kick. They did. What happened next? Well, they began to see everything through the lens of spiritual warfare. I go, really? What happened next? Well, all kinds of stuff. And I just decided that I needed to leave. And I go, well, when did you make that decision? I'll tell you when I made the decision. When they asked the six of us staff members to stand around the air conditioning unit and cast the demon out of the air conditioning unit, I said to myself, you know what, I think I need to find another place. Now, by the way, if you're an HVAC mechanic, I know that you see a lot of wisdom in, in what they were doing. Because you get these mind-numbing problems. What in the world happened? There must be a demon in there. That's the only thing I can figure out that happened. You can make too much of the devil. I listened to several minutes of a montage video, maybe three minutes, of a pastor last Sunday in Nashville who informed his congregation that the demons had told him who the six witches were in the church. And he knew who they were. And he, the demons had even given him the address of the witches in the church. Now, by the way, that, doesn't that defy the logic? You remember when they accused Jesus, I know how you're doing this. You're doing this through the power of Satan. He said, wait a minute. Does that make any logical sense? If Satan is casting out Satan, isn't he working against his own king, kingdom? That doesn't even make any logical sense. And notwithstanding that, the preacher was saying that the demons had given him the addresses of all the witches and uh, names and addresses, too. Addresses for two of them, you know, so. <laughs> we are a part of a tradition, actually, that doesn't make too much of the dark world. One question I asked myself this week in approaching this passage is, do we make too little? Think of what you and me make of evil as we come to this story. But as we do, please keep in mind, forefront, top of mind, 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Keep that in mind. We need Jesus, his power and authority in our broken world. But we need to live realizing we do have an enemy. And he's good at his craft. And he and his minions delight to bring havoc. Evil exists. It's a threat. Jesus has come. 
The gospel is good news with power, and it's a gospel of the kingdom. And when the kingdom power rolls in, the powers of darkness are rolled out. Now let's look at this passage. What happens to evil when the kingdom of God invades our broken world? To look through this window is to look and see the kingdom of God. Eric, what's it going to be like? I'll tell you what it's going to be like. Evil will have no part, none. A world, an existence where there is no presence of evil. Now think of these three realities with me. Reality number one, when we are exposed to this story, we are struck by the authority of the new king. He came into the synagogue, not really well known. They would have itinerant speakers. They asked Jesus to speak. And as he spoke, the word in the text is the word astonished, verse 22. They were astonished at his teaching. I love this word. Um, you ever have anyone use the vernacular phrase, I'll tell you what, it was like somebody hit me in the head with a two-by-four, meaning they were awakened to something, or they were startled awake. It was like, oh, wow. That's at the heart of this word, astonished. It means to be struck, as it were, in the head, awakened to what you were insensitive to before. So that morning, they walked in, yeah, garden variety service at the synagogue. They walk in, they sit down, they go through the readings, and okay, here's another speaker. And suddenly, the authority of Christ hits them, and they are awakened to what they were not awakened to before. Now, this prefigures what Jesus will tell us, and we'll say it before we leave. Remember after the resurrection, what he said? All Power and authority has been given unto me. Wow. Not some authority has been given unto me. All of it. All of it is right here. And if all of it is right there, what do we have to fear? What could fill our hearts with anxiety? All power and authority has been given and to me they were astonished at his teaching he taught them as one with there's our word authority now verse 25 he has this confrontation with an unclean spirit it's not explained it's simply described evil is present in the world evil messes with people this man comes in he's messed with and the evil being co-opted his spirit in this confrontation with Christ. Notice what happens. What have you to do with us? That would startle a meeting, would it not? Jesus of Nazareth, interesting, the pronoun is plural. Have you come to destroy? I know who you are the Holy One of God. It's as if he was loading up for a battle royal. It lasted about as long as that fight in the Boone Station school bathroom lasted. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent. And come out of him. 
When he says be silent, it's the phrase, the exact phrase that he's used. Mark is full of boat scenes. He has a boat scene in Mark chapter 4 during the storm. You know what he says to the storm? These words, be silent. And the rage of the storm was silent. Notice what happens when he says to the unclean spirit, be silent. That's the last thing he said in the text. There's no more, we don't hear any more rhetoric from the dark world. It's over. Jesus muzzled evil. Be silent and come out of him. That was it. By the way, please note that there wasn't any huge incantation. There wasn't any lead up. Somebody get the oil out. There, all that was was an authoritative word from the living God through Jesus Christ. Be silent come out and that was enough that was it so two authority two veins of authority teaching he's teaching like no one has ever taught and there's two things going on here one is his person the authority of who he was his holiness his uniqueness his power his gentleness his lowliness all came together to have an authority in his person. Have you ever been around anyone or met them, and in their person, they carried in their spirit that which you experienced before they ever said anything or opened their mouth? Uh, we don't have the monarchy in America, but if you're ever in London, and the queen's doing anything, it's amazing to watch the English respond to majesty. There's hush. There's recognition. And that's what's going on here. It's the authority of his person, but it's also the authority of what he said. So the logos, the content of what he said. They said, wow, we just experienced the authority of God in what he taught. But they also experienced the authority in the dismissal, be quiet and leave the power of his authority in dismissing the demon. Now he says this in verse 25, come out. You say, Eric, what happened after he said it? Well, verse 26 said, he came out. This is like the effectual power of the word of God. This is like, and God said, let there be, and it was so. And God said, let there be, and it was so. It's like reading Genesis 1. The effective power of the word of God, the authority that would command even unclean spirits to leave. First, the unclean spirit shut up. Second, the unclean spirit left. So there's the authority of his teaching and the authority of his dominion. I was with someone recently who had been beset in the past with opioid addiction. And, you know, rehab, hospital, the whole nine yards. And they told me there is nothing more powerful, having more authority over a person, there is nothing more powerful than opioids in all the earth. And as soon as they finished saying it, and I was not trying to be smart, but I was trying to celebrate the glory of the gospel, I said, I don't believe that. 
the power of Jesus Christ is greater than the addictive power at its zenith height of opioids. And the authority of Christ is greater over a person who yields himself or herself to Christ than the authority of opioids in all their stout power. 1993, there's a movie, The Fugitive. Harrison Ford was Dr. Richard Kemble. And you had Tommy Lee Jones, who was Samuel Gerard, who was a United States Marshal. And a bunch of prisoners were on this uh, track. And, and it was a, a train wreck. And the prisoners, uh, they were trying to recover everybody. And they had a local sheriff there that was in charge of the scene before the federal marshals got there. And he was like Barney Fife, you know, just Bigfoot Wallace. I got this thing. I got the, you know, everything's fine. Everything's fine. And about that time, one of the United States Marshals brought the chains that had shackled the prisoners that the local sheriff said, all the prisoners are accounted for. That's fine. You know, that's. And he brought the shackled chains and he handed it to uh, Tommy Lee Jones character, Samuel Gerard, who, who was just full of arrogance and boulder dash. But it's fascinating because you go from Barney Fife ruling over that scene to uh, Tommy Lee Jones holds it up and says, oh, is that right? Well, what do we got here? And, and he says, you know what? You, you, you will be relieved of your authority. And, and he goes on, and immediately he dictates about 35 seconds of orders that he had premeditated that was going to completely take control of the scene. Well, in that little exchange you get a spirit of what happened both in the Boone Station bathroom and in this chapel in Capernaum. Because in one incident, you're struck with the authority of the new king. Now, the second reality is Jesus liberates the willing from the shackles of evil. Do you know who almost gets lost in this story? It's this poor man beset by this unclean spirit. The unclean spirit stars with some opening lines. Jesus shows his authority. And what's almost lost, you almost forget about this guy. This is the greatest day this guy's ever had because in that day, evil was thrown away and thrown down and he was liberated and made free. Evil had completely co-opted his person so much so that he spoke through him. You almost lose track of this was a real person who had a real life in Capernaum, who was really beset by evil, who was really liberated by Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's so much joy in release in the shackles being removed. Of all persons, Kim Kardashian got connected with President Trump on criminal justice reform and sentencing and some laws going through Congress. And one of them centered on a circumstance like Alice Marie Johnson, who was a grandmother in prison for, I recall it, being over 20 years for in a dark, indulgent, season of her life, trafficked in drugs, was picked up, and it got this life sentence. And so it was about sentencing reform. Well, anyway, it ended up she got out of prison. 
And so because Kim Kardashian had been an advocate for her and Kardashian had photo ops with the president and this, they actually filmed uh, Alice Marie Johnson getting out of prison. And I watched it. It was fascinating. Um, she gets out, and of course, it's kind of stark. You know, just the door opens to the prison, and, and um, she steps out. She's in civilian clothes. They had given her some clothes to change. And the entourage is out there at the road, which they were not allowed, you know, to get up to where she was. So she had a little bit of distance there. It wasn't real far, maybe three or four blocks. And, uh, but old Alice, when that door opened, she got outside. A smile broke out on her face, and her head disappeared. And then she, she had a, I recall her having a skirt on. She took off running. Alice is running. She's running to the car. And the joy that was on her face to be released after over 20 years incarcerated was extraordinary. You could, you could feel it palpably. Say, oh, man, she must have really been happy. You talk about who was happy. Can you imagine being plagued and tormented by evil and being released? The happiest man, the best day of his life, he'd never been better, was this guy here and that's what the powers of the kingdom of God bring us to bring us release from shackles do you know how many followers of Jesus I run into who read the news or watch the new news cycle and shut off the tv or close the device and they are paralyzed with fear if you poke them, they'll tell you about the crime rates. If you poke them, they'll tell you about evil's advance. If you poke them, they'll tell you about how bad and how horrible it is. And hey, there's some awful stories from this evil world. But I want you to know that the kingdom of God, Aslan, is afoot in Narnia yet. And he is working in people's lives. I love Psalm 91, 7. A thousand may fall at my side, 10,000 at my right hand, but it will not come near concerning me. We do live in an evil world, but it's a world that Christ has imposed his presence in. The kingdom has come. It is already and yet not yet in its full manifestation, and we need not fear. We've been liberated from fear. The joy of release is extraordinary. United States Air Force General Dick Abel described the errand that he was given to fly a plane to Hanoi and pick up the POWs in 1973 who were to be released from the Hanoi Hilton there. And he described what somber, sober spirit pervaded the handover get him to the tarmac, get him on the plane, and shut the door. And he described the spirit on the plane as yet quite sober. But then the plane began to move. It began to taxi out and get clearance to leave. And as it started down the runway, first the wheels of the front lifted, and it started to have a trajectory into the sky. Then you could feel the thrust of the plane and that last, and it, it took off. And he said, it was not until then that bedlam broke out on the plane. Because once those wheels left the runway, then everyone exhaled 
and outrageous joy broke out in every seat on the plane. I want you to know that right here, we're taxiing down the runway. And the front wheels are up, and you can feel the thrust. And you can feel the thrust of both what is and what is coming. And that's the purpose of this miracle. Oh, the glory of this. But there's a warning here as well. And Warren Wiersbe says, there are people today just like this demonized man in a religious meeting, able to tell who Jesus is and even trembling with fear of judgment, yet lost. End of quote. If you're here this morning and God has never brought you out of the darkness and into the light through conversion to Jesus Christ, I invite you to Jesus Christ this morning. I want you to know that all of us are in the dark with our sin before the light of the holiness, the pure holiness of the living God before whom we shall stand and to whom we shall give an account. But God made a way for us to be found acceptable in sending his son who on the cross bore every wicked thing, thought, word, or deed that we will ever do and atone for our sin and invites us to believe in him, invites us to receive Jesus Christ and come to have the hope of eternal life. Do you know him? Are you living in the kingdom of light? I invite you to be reconciled to Jesus Christ this morning. Knowing Jesus is a game changer for life. We're liberated from the prison house of fear. We're liberated from the prison of greed. We're liberated from the prison of lust, envy, self-pity. You've been hurt. You can get in a cul-de-sac of self-pity and stay there for a decade. It won't help us. It's a prison. Liberates us from pride. Liberates us from anxiety. Liberates us from worry. By the way, each of those individual Pitfalls are a maximum security prison from which there is no escape. They're each a supermax. But in Jesus Christ, we are set free. Terrible things happen in our world, evil things. John 16, 33, Jesus said, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The third reality is we come to peace with life at home in a world of eventual good. We're headed to evil's extinction. How does Calvary answer the question posed by Psalm 11? Three, if the foundations are destroyed, what will the righteous do? 1 John 5, 18 and 19, we know that everyone has been born of God, who has been born of God, does not keep on sinning, but... He who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Hear the word of the Lord. Yes, Satan is shooting with real bullets. Most went home from the synagogue meeting astonished, saying to themselves, that was the most memorable service I've ever attended in my life, and would not it have been so? The difference between who that man was before the service and who that man was after the service, the difference was Jesus Christ. Yes, the world is a mess. 
that this is our Father's world. His kingdom is already introduced. His kingdom is coming. We are headed for the new heavens and the new earth. No evil will thwart the inexorable establishment of the kingdom of God. One day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of glory. There's no place of peace like the peace of being assured that he is true and that his kingdom is coming. Around Easter, the church for years has used the old Latin phrase, Christos victor, Christ victorious, Christ the victor. Do we live like Christ is the victor? Do we live like he has all the authority? Do we experience peace and rest in our troubled world knowing who he is and what he's like? Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let's give our devotion to him. Oh, come, let us find rest from anxiety and trouble in this broken, evil globe. Let us run to a great Savior who is victor over all evil. Let us anticipate and imagine the unimaginable, a paradise with the victor, Jesus Christ, that has every amenity but is absent in the evil, truly, paradise. Through this window, we can see it ahead of time. Be silent and come out of him. And so what is your response? I want to warn you, if you are dabbling in evil, it will not lead you to a good end. You need to repent. I want to challenge you, if you know the Lord and you are seized up with anxiety and fear, oh, see the king in whose hands are all authority. If you're here around the people of God, not unlike this man, never having come to know Jesus as your Savior, come to him. Come to life. Come to the light. Jesus lives. He's a great Savior. Let's pray. Father, speak and work in our lives. Our world is brutal. Its evil is ugly. But there is a Savior who has come and who lives and in whose hands are all authority. Lord, may your kingdom come. We look forward to the day when evil will be banished and righteousness and truth will get up and kiss each other each morning. Oh Lord, with responsive hearts, we stand to sing. Grateful to a great Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing.